Hello! Hello, everybody! Welcome to the Lunarverse. I'm Dr. Charles Liu, but please call me Chuck if you'd like. Uh, it's such a pleasure to have you all with us today. And this episode, we have a tremendous guest, and we can't wait to talk about it and all the cool science and maybe some other stuff, too, uh, that we're going to do today. First, let me welcome our wonderful co-host, Alan Liu. Alan, hi there. Thank you so Hello. much. <laughs> Thanks for doing this, as always. It's really a pleasure and really glad you're here. Yeah. Uh, and and you have a special role to play uh, in all the things that we do. So thank you so much. Really appreciate it. Yeah, you're welcome. And having Dr. Sam Grundblatt as our guest today uh, is a really extra pleasure. I'm so happy to have you. Thank you so much for being here, Sam. Thank you. Yeah, thank you guys for inviting me. I'm super stoked to be here. Tell us what your research is based on. Uh, is there a particularly interesting thing that you're working on right now that we should all know about? Sure. Yeah. I mean, I always think so. But uh, <laughs> so my research really focuses on trying to understand the evolution of planetary systems. And in particular, the very latest sort of stages of uh, planetary evolution. You know, what happens, you know, when a planet dies, so to mm. speak. And so uh, what I've been working on is basically trying to find planets around uh, red giant stars. Again, for a little context, um, the sun right now is just sort of a main sequence star. But in five billion years, it's going to get much larger. It's going to become cooler and become more red. And basically, that'll turn it, it'll evolve into a red giant star. Right. And so what I want to understand is what happens to the planets around the star when that, when that change occurs. Generally, the, the thought is that this will cause some changes in how the star and the planets interact. And that can usually result yeah. in the planet getting pulled in closer to the star or, um, you know, going from a more eccentric to a more circular orbit. But it also changes how the planets might interact with one another. So you can imagine as the planet or as the star pulls on one planet that might, you know, then affect any planet that's, you know, in between the orbits of those two planets. And in general, you just have sort of more interactions between the individual planets. And that can actually make the orbits more eccentric instead oh. of less eccentric. And so you have this kind of confluence of effects from right. both the star and the planets in these systems. And so that's something that I've been uh, studying recently. And so uh, most recently, I published a paper on three of the, the hottest Jupiters orbiting the <laughs> so, uh, These are, you know, really hot planets that are on, you know, less than three day orbits in, in two cases. Whoa three-day orbits around these giant stars. And so That's they're, they're, not really, they're not really great places to be. I, I hope I, I don't offend too many people by saying this, but you know, because they're kind of so hot and, and you know, don't have a, a whole lot of life ahead of them, I, I uh -oh. kind of think of them as uh, you know, planet Florida. <laughs> no, 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 you can't say that. No offense, Florida is a very nice place. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, so, so these planets are, you know, that they're on a very sh they have a very short lifetime in in one case actually one of the planets that we found is expected to basically fall into the host star in less than a million years Whoa. which in earth time scales is is quite some time but yeah. on uh, astrophysical time scales is essentially a, a blink of an eye it's, i'm you know, putting that on my calendar right now yeah, <laughs> yeah less than a thousandth of the lifetime of the star that's amazing example. yeah you know what we have a lot of times is just this conception that as the sun grows into a red giant, it just eats the planets. It eats Mercury, it eats Venus, Earth falls in. But you're saying it's much more complicated than that. 
Yeah, so it's it it kind of de- it it all depends on the star and the planet and the the whole sort of system properties. But generally, uh, if the planet is is more massive, that means that as the star evolves, that it's going to have a stronger effect on the planet. And basically, you can imagine that like in a scenario where maybe Mercury or or Venus could just kind of you know hang out until the star swallows it up, a, a planet more like Jupiter is actually going to have to you know react to the star getting larger and that uh-huh. usually results in the planet orbit getting smaller and the planet mm-hmm. getting closer to the star and that so that's so much sense of- <laughs> well today's joyfully cool cosmic thing is right down your alley sam a candidate third planet about one quarter the mass of earth has been discovered or at least a paper has been published announcing its discovery around the star Proxima, also known as Proxima Centauri, which, as many of you know, is the closest star to the sun. That is amazing, really cool information. Uh, Sam, you have to tell us, um, how significant is it that now there are three planets that we think exist around Proxima, which is like this tiny, tiny little star. You can barely even see it. Uh, even Yeah, yeah. It, it's it's pretty amazing, I think. You know, only a few years ago, we, we didn't know how many planets there were outside of our, our own solar system. I mean, we, yeah. we still don't necessarily know how many planets are in our own solar system. But, <laughs> but, uh, but you know, th- I think the fact that now we're, we're able to find planets around our, our you know, our sort of solar neighbor, um, yeah. that's, it, it's really exciting to see that, you know, it's not only stars that are exactly like our sun, you know, are the only places where you can find worlds that are like ours. But now we're starting to see that really any type of star could have any type of planet, um, small planets, uh, larger planets popping up basically around all sorts of large and small stars at different ages, you know, all, uh, different parts of the galaxy, uh, all sorts of things. And so I think now knowing that, yeah, our, our solar neighbor, so to speak, has three planets means that it, we've moved from, you know, sort of saying, okay, maybe there's one place, you know, right next door where we could go where to now there's really a whole system that we want to get to know a lot better. And yeah. uh, I think it's, it's going to be a really exciting uh, place to, to learn some more things. Proxima is a, a red dwarf star. And so it's, it's much cooler and much smaller than the sun. And that means that in, in some ways it's maybe not as great for life. The, these stars have lots of flares and lots of activity mm. um, that do uh, things that aren't so great, like strip the atmosphere of the planet. <laughs> so unfortunately, uh, the Proxima planets might not be the best place for life, but I think they're you know, a really exciting place to, to check out and start thinking about. And uh, the fact that this new particular uh, planet candidate is is so small, you know, smaller than the size of Earth is really exciting because it means that, you know, we're not just going to be able to find sort of Earth analogs around these different systems, but we're now starting to push down to things that are more like Mars or even the size of the moon. And so it's it's really cool to, to get to the point where, you know, now we can start talking about these these whole sort of exoplanetary systems and yeah. and, you know, put them in in context, you know, compared to sort of like the planets in our solar system. Right. That's a really amazing. Uh, and, you know, Proxima is actually a member or we think a member of the Alpha Centauri system, right? Yeah. Yeah. So Proxima is part of this at least three star system. Um, where it happens to be the closest to us. It's this cool red dwarf star, but it's actually orbiting. I, well, actually, it, it's in a system with at least two other stars, which are um, actually a little bit more like the sun. Yeah. In fact, I think they're a little bit more massive than the sun. Um, and so that means they're even more bright. And and recently we found that they might be hosting their own planets as well. Wow. Yeah. So it's, you know, <laughs> this sort of 
crazy hierarch, uh, hierarchical system where you have, yeah. you know, one planet is orbiting one star, which is orbiting another star, which also might have its own planets. And so Gee. it just goes to show the diversity of worlds that, you know, we, we have. Uh, a generation ago, people imagined worlds like Tatooine that were, mm -hmm. you know, two suns in the sky, star. right? <laughs> right. And it turns out that that's totally a thing. You know, we wow. now find wow. worlds like that. We've also found worlds where, you know, the, the planet is orbiting one star, but then there's another star that's orbiting both the planet and the star. And so, huh. you know, basically anything that you can imagine, we're starting to find. And I think wow. this new planet around Proxima is a great example of that. Wow. Science fiction predicting science fact yet again. I remember Isaac Asimov writing in his fiction about a planet that orbited Alpha Centauri. Now it looks like he was right after all. I think that's fantastic. Now, right. I do want to bring one, one more thing which caught my eye. And, and this is a very good thing because the, the paper talks about it being a planetary candidate very careful to say, you know, we're not absolutely sure. That's a huge part of this, uh, of all of science, right? But in, in this case, especially because this is a, like you said, like a small planet, you know, moon, Mars kind of thing. And so do we, do we think that this is a really solid detection prediction that just needs to be confirmed like so many other exoplanets? Or is this one really on the edge where we think that we have to be extra, extra careful before we say with certainty it exists? Oh, I, I would certainly go with the, the latter there. We okay. uh, exercise extreme caution. And I think the, <laughs> the, the authors of the paper were right to, you know, clearly state that it's a planet candidate as opposed to a new planet. And the reason for that is, as you mentioned, uh, or as we have mentioned, uh, this planet is, it, you know, super small. And uh, this is, you know, really pushing the limits of what we can do with our current instrumentation. There's, you know, very few planets that we know of that are the size of Earth or even smaller, other that, that are outside of our own solar system. And so any time that someone claims to have found something about that, then we, you know, we really have to be careful to make sure that we do as much careful sort of testing of those, of those targets as possible so that we can say, is this really a planet? Is it not? And a lot of times, you know, it's, it's important to remember that that testing is not something that we can do, you know, in a couple days or just run <laughs> yeah. the data again and get a new answer. No, no, no. This is something that is going to take years of, of getting more data on this system, you know, reanalyzing the signal from multiple instruments. And I think that this is a, a great example of why that needs to be done because it's so hard to find these objects. But, you know, once it's done, then we can have that much more confidence that these objects are real and, and you know, really start to think about visiting these uh, other worlds. <laughs> Can't wait to get there. That's wonderful. Now, before we go to our first question from our listeners, we have a special treat for you. And, and I uh, got to say that I, co I, I convinced, you could say coerced, uh, our <laughs> guest and our co-host to do this. And the reason is because uh, I know uh, from uh, our conversations before we taped that Sam, Dr. Grunblatt, is an acapella meister. Uh, he... <laughs> Former, uh, former. Now, nah, he conducted, he led, he was the music director of an acapella singing group in college, right? Now, what was the name of that group? Uh, yes, I was the music director for the Columbia Kingsmen. Aha! <laughs> Excellent group. A well-known group. Been around for a while. The reason that immediately caught my eye and why we're about to do this is because our esteemed co-host, uh, Alan... In addition to being mathematically trained, a virtual reality programmer and author, all that kinds of amazing stuff that he does, 
Yeah. Alan also was the music director of an acapella group in college. Not one, but two, I should say. Is oh, this uh, not true, Alan? That's true. I was music director for uh, Fusion and for Harvard Glee Club Light. Uh, yeah. The acapella subset of the Harvard Glee Club, just plugging that. <laughs> <laughs> so we are going to sing in honor of Proxima, this nearby star, which now may have a third planet discovered around it. Okay, so All give right. us a note, Sam. <clears throat> How about like? Do. Okay. Pra, 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 Proxima. You're the closest star to me, and I think you really need Proxima. Okay, great. All right. We'll see what happens. Hopefully it came out well. I don't know. We'll find out in a little while. But thank you so much, Sam and Alan, for for just adding a little extra something to the episode. I had a lot of fun just trying not to mess up your beautiful dulcet tones. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. For now, let us move on then. Alan, do we have a question from a member of the audience, a student perhaps? Yeah, we've got a couple of student questions today. Okay. Um, the first question that we're going to ask is from Nora from New York City. Um, and Nora says, I recently read an article about mini Neptune exoplanets turning into super Earths. Can you explain these two terms and what exactly this discovery is? Oh, highly um, technical. Yeah. Well, Nora, that's a really amazing question. So just for a little context, one of the really exciting things that we found in sort of the last five to 10 years of exoplanet science is that when we look and, you know, try and look for new planets around other stars, what we found is that the most common planet that we see around other stars doesn't exist in our solar system. <laughs> and that most common planet is kind of in between the size of Earth and the size of Neptune, which is around four times the radius of Earth. Okay. And so uh, essentially we found all these planets that are kind of in between and they seem to fall into sort of two categories. Ones which are, are smaller and kind of closer to the size of Earth, uh, which we generally call super Earths because they're slightly larger than Earth. And then those yeah. that are on the other side that are clearly larger than Earth, but smaller than Neptune, hence the name mini Neptune. And the idea is that uh, the, the big difference between these sort of two classes of planets is that the rocky, uh, that the super Earths are rocky planets. They don't have very significant atmospheres, whereas the mini Neptunes are essentially uh, gas planets, that they're mostly atmosphere. They might have a rocky mm -hmm. core at the center, but uh, most of what we're seeing in their radius is, is all gas. And so uh, something that, that people have thought a lot about recently is, you know, if we see both, both types of these planets, how are they related? And uh, one of the, the common ideas is that um, planets might start out with a whole lot of gas. Might, they might have a lot of atmosphere. But then yeah. over time, uh, the, the sun can sort of irradiate these planets. It can, you know, high energy particles basically strip the atmosphere away, atom by atom, molecule by molecule, until eventually you're left with something that's just a rocky core. And so basically, that, that's the equivalent of turning these mini-Neptune planets 
into super earths by basically stripping their atmospheres and leaving behind this rocky core. And so wow. when you read that article, I'm, I think that's probably what they were talking about, that, you know, we're seeing these planets that are uh, unlike anything that we see in the solar system. And they're probably going from being gas giant, sort of Neptune-like planets and turning into uh, rocky super earths uh, <laughs> over time or, you know, through the evolution of the, of the star and the planet system. Amazing. Could, could our Earth possibly have uh, formed that way? I, I'm guessing not, but that, I mean, that would be great, amazing. The, so the, the formation of the solar system is like particularly tricky because um, we have this kind of group of small rocky planets and then way outside, then you have all of these bigger gas giant planets. Yeah. And the idea is basically the gas giants sort of sucked up all of the gas in the, so, the very early solar system, leaving behind only sort of like rocky dust and debris that then turned into the Earth. Ah. So it's likely that when the Earth formed, there wasn't any gas, um, so it could never have been a mini, mini Neptune. But hmm. that's just one sort of planet formation theory. Fortunately, we can't turn the clock back four billion years to see what things looked like back then. So it's very possible <laughs> that, uh, that this is how you know, the, the Earth formed, or at least how you know, lots of other sort of uh, planetary systems have formed. Wow. Just amazing. To yeah. be continued. That's a great question. I bet the geologists get, get really excited about this too. Like, everything I learned is wrong. And I, I, that's science. I love it. Yeah. Wonderful. Uh, thanks so much, Sam, for, for that. Exoplanets, of course, are, are extremely uh, interesting to people. It captures the imagination. They show up in movies. They show up in TV shows all the time. Um, have you seen a, a recent movie that you uh, feel like had exoplanets in it or talked about like solar system and, and stuff that, uh, that has been fun to you, that you've kind of liked, that you want to comment about? Uh, yeah, sure. So, I mean, I think the, the sort of astronomy movie that's on everyone's minds, uh, at least these days, is Don't Look Up. Oh! <laughs> uh, you know, al although the whole point of that movie was not really about the astronomy. Right. Um, that's a really nice way to, to have that involved and thinking about at least life on this planet, if not other yeah. planets, you know, how easy it is for, for some catastrophic change to, to really throw life in, uh, on this planet into a lurch. Wow. And so although it, they don't really talk about other planets that much in that system or in that mm. in that movie, right. you know, it, it sort of shows everyone that, you know, astronomy is 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 something that's that's going on all over the, all the time. And uh, <laughs> or that uh, that research is is important and, you know, does affect uh, life here on Earth. Oh, for uh, sure. Yeah. I, hopefully now, in not such a catastrophic way. Hopefully. Now, yeah. now, now we don't want to spoil any significant things for our audience. Right. Because they. Have, if they haven't seen Don't Look Up yet, uh, we want them to enjoy the full experience. But we can do some mild things in here and just sort of say uh, that it is uh, not like a disaster movie, you know, like Armageddon or Deep Impact where they're showing like the destruction of the world, but more like how we humans deal with science and non-science in our lives, right? And uh, they're actually, although it's it's a very minor uh presentation of it exoplanet is mentioned in that movie uh but is your take that the science in that movie overall was generally correct and and the non-scientific uh predictions of what we will experience are also correct uh that that's a great question i would say so what i can remember from the science of that movie is that yeah. you know it's uh you know it's definitely uh Hollywood eyes, so to speak, but it's it's pretty accurate. Oh. Um, you know, the sort of 
okay. size of the asteroid that they're worried about, the time scale that they're worried about is mm-hmm. is not too bad. It, it's not too far off from what we'd actually be, you know, experiencing. Yeah. And it's not the size of Texas, right? Yeah. <laughs> and uh, something something that was kind of cool for me is I, I actually did my my uh, graduate school work at the University of Hawaii, and so oh, opening scene. They show some, you know, astronomers working at a telescope in Hawaii, and uh, it was very cool to sort of see it and be like, "Oh yeah, I, I know where they are. I, I know where they." Are. <laughs> That's great. And uh, actually, they're 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 leading a, a project which is specifically designed to uh, look for these near Earth asteroids. And so yeah. when they they talk about things like neos and things like this, these are <laughs> words that I was kind of familiar with, and I was like, ah. hmm, I wonder what those folks who actually work on this stuff think about. This <laughs> yeah. yeah, and the people sitting next to you in the theater and the couch, you're like elbowing them, right? Going, I, I was there. I, I know that. Yeah, it works. You know that oh, guy. Oh, yeah, of course. Couldn't <laughs> <laughs> let it go by without uh, pointing it out. Uh huh. They're like, okay, okay, we know. Okay. <laughs> Alan, do we have another question from somebody? We do have another question. It's another exoplanets question, which is very appropriate. Um, this is from Cody from New York. And Cody asks, in our solar system, all our planets, he writes except for Pluto, are more or less <laughs> on the same plane. Is this true for other stellar systems? Ooh, that's another awesome question. And I'm going to answer it by just saying, yeah, we don't know. Or like, yes and no. Uh, okay, sorry. <laughs> a little excited. What we found is that when we do find one planet that's in a particular plane, we like to search for planets first in that same plane because we Mm. found that there are a lot of systems that sort of show very low mutual inclinations. That means that all of the planet's orbits sort of lie on that same plane or at least very close to the same plane. If we look for one in that plane, you know, usually we get lucky and we can find more. But that's not the case for all of the systems that we know about. And we've discovered at least a handful of systems now where there are multiple planets that are on very different planes. Sometimes those planes are completely perpendicular to one another. What? Sometimes they're just slightly, you know, kind of inclined. And we've even now found systems where two of the planets are lined up with one another. And then there's a third planet that's on a totally different plane further out. In that, in the case I'm thinking of, that third planet is kind of the, like the mass of Jupiter. So it's not just like Pluto, where there's one small thing that's gotten knocked out of the plane. Yeah. Um, but really, there's some sort of crazy, you know, orbital inclination evolution that might be happening in these systems. Wow. And the one extra bonus of the system that I'm thinking about is that the star, I think, is misaligned from all of the planets. So <laughs> <What>? all <laughs> the are spinning around, ending up on completely different orbits. And uh, yeah, we, we don't necessarily know how they got there. And just one more quick plug to the stuff that I've been working on. This is actually something that I'm really interested in, because as I mentioned earlier, as planets sort of, or as, as systems evolve, um, these planets have these, you know, interactions where they can basically mess up the, the orbits of the planets themselves and end up on more eccentric orbits. And so when that happens, we think that that should also knock the planets out of the being in the same plane pretty often as well. And yeah. so this is something that I'm like actively thinking about right now is that when I find a system, you know, should I look for a planet in the same plane or should I look for a planet on any planes? Which should I prioritize? I can think of a system right now where I'm actually worried about this. So that's a wow. great question. Oh, this is wonderful. Okay. So I have to ask you because you're an exoplanet expert, what is your favorite planet? Ooh, one of my, one of the coolest planets that I, that I've learned about pretty recently is called, it's again from the test mission, so it's called TOI-561. And so this planet is uh, sort of one of the first planets that we found in the thick disk of the galaxy. 
So oh. basically, all of the planets that we found, or not all, but almost all of the planets that we found so far are, are very close to, you know, the sun, so to speak, in galactic terms. So they're all okay. kind of um, in our, like within 10% of the, the galaxy's radius from us. Uh, but this particular planet is kind of at a very strange angle where it's getting to a place where um, there aren't as many stars and the actual, you know, environment in which those stars formed is quite hmm. different from the the one in which the sun formed and, and our solar wow. system. So TOI-561 is, I guess, the name of the system. And so the planet would be TOI-561b. Okay. This planet is super cool because it's, despite being a pretty small planet, it looks now, based on some density measurements that people have made of the system, that this planet could have a very significant atmosphere, despite being, uh, despite having a radius that's, you know, within that sort of uh, super Earth regime. And so it's kind of breaking that, you know, our understanding between, you know, the many, many Neptunes and the the super Earths, because it's a super Earth that might actually look more like a mini Neptune. And that probably (laughs) has something to do with it forming in this super unique environment. And so I'm really excited to see if we keep searching further and further, you know, out to the, you know, thick disk of the galaxy or even the stellar halo, what are the planets going to look like that we can find in these sort of extreme regimes? And can we find planets at all? That's that's also up for debate. It seems like the answer to that is yes. The planets seem, again, even more uh, different from, from our own system than we could have imagined. As long as we keep looking, we, we keep finding these really cool things. And TOI-561 is a great example of that. Yeah. And after TOI-561b, which you're talking about, if we find another one, it'll be TOI-561c. And then after that, will be 561d. And... Right. Yeah. Alphabet soup of planets. That's fantastic. I love it. Yes. Yes. And I I should be careful. I think there is now a TOI 561C. So I hope (laughs) I was talking about the right planet in the system. But (laughs) either way, very cool system. Wow. Yeah. How can we keep track of the kind of work that you do? Do you have a social media that we can find or a website that we can go look at? I do. I do. So the easiest or the place where I do the fastest updates is probably on my Twitter account. And you can just find me at SK Grunblatt. So that's SK and then my last name uh, on Twitter. And then my, uh, you can also check out my website. That's uh, also SK Grunblatt. So S-K-G-R-U-N-B-L-A-T-T dot github dot I-O. Any sort of larger updates that I have will probably end up on the website. Whereas quicker things like uh, my most recent paper uh, I discussed on Twitter. Great. Wonderful. Well, uh, Alan, thank you so much for being a wonderful co-host as usual. Really appreciate it. Yeah, glad to be here. Okay, and Sam Grunblatt, Dr. Sam Grunblatt, thank you so much for being here. I promise we'll find another opportunity to delve into your awesome musicality and, of course, our co-host Alan Liu's awesome musicality too in the future. (laughs) Thanks so much for being with us today. Yeah, thank you so much for this opportunity. This was great. And for all of you out there who have been watching and listening, To all of you in the audience, thank you for being with us. If you like what you see and you like what you hear and you'd like to support it, please support us on Patreon. And thank you again for being with us. As always, thank you for being a part of the Luniverse.